uh, when, when they were praying a while ago, Ron, I could hear Ron uh, loudly saying to the moms, you know, thank him now. And that's what he was just saying to me. You know, to just go ahead and thank him right now, moms. Thank him as it's a done, it's a done deal. Amen. Amen. I, I'm going to let you be seated. Uh, you know, when you, all the moms, I was really uh, so thankful for Crawford being obedient to that. And there's so many uh, that came forward. And my wife, she said to me, she said, you know, everybody's got trouble with kids, right? You think you're the only one. And then you look and you see the altars uh, filled with moms whose hearts are, are you know, burdened or, or, you know, for their concern for their kids. And, uh you know, but did any of, you know, sometimes I'm trying to figure out, you know, I guess that's probably a weird way of saying it, but uh, while y'all, you guys were praying, any of you moms got, uh, I don't know if it's the daughter, granddaughter, niece, whatever, named Star, uh, her name is Star, uh, that was standing down here, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm trying to figure out what God's trying to show me, I don't know if it's an individual or if God was just saying something. Uh, concerning all these uh, these moms and and I just saw this little uh, I just saw like an image you know it's like these flashes uh, sometimes but I saw this little girl crawl up in in uh, in the Lord's lap and uh, he handed her a golden uh, balloon that was in the shape of a star and uh, and she said to say to the you know, to whoever was so burdened by her that you don't no longer call me orphaned. Uh, you know, that's why God sent his son, because this was an orphaned planet. And Jesus came to show us the Father. And uh, and I, I just say that to you, that, you know, these children, whether they're grown or little, uh, uh, you know, God's got this. Amen? And... Uh, you know, I, I felt like so many of you were standing here. How many of your moms were standing down here for healing with your, you want to see, you're concerned about the health or you need a healing with your uh, family, your your son or daughter? Hold, hold your hand up. And I, I just really uh, sensed that this morning, a lot of uh, healing uh, uh, power was just being released as you just uh, prayed to God. You know, these last two Sundays I've been trying to, uh, I guess you would say exhort you to to believe God, you know, in the supernatural and 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 and, and stretch out in faith and and do these things. And I really want to be on that same uh, uh, stream again today. I guess you'd say, and in that same flow. And um, as soon as I got home, actually, I didn't even make it home. I was sitting having lunch after the service, and of course, it, you know, to, to me, the last two Sundays have just been a real emphasis of that. Uh, by the Holy Spirit, and and so I received a, a text while I was sitting there having lunch, and and uh, uh, it was from one of the men uh, from the House of Grace, uh, Sean, uh, Sean McConnell, and, and uh, most of you probably wouldn't even know him. He's been gone for quite a few years, but some of the men here would still know him, and uh, and so uh, Sean was there at the House of Grace, and then later on he, he actually ran the House of Grace when Pastor Keith uh, had his uh, vehicle accident. And, and, and really it's to the, to the praise of God is how he has used Pastor Keith 
uh, and Jennifer Stith in, in that ministry. And if you don't know what the House of Grace is, it's a men's ministry in, in Cook County that takes men in and they, they, they live there. And no matter what their, their problem is, drug abuse or whatever it is, that they can come there free of charge. And they come and they're housed and, 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 and they get the gospel. Uh, and it's just a way to minister to those men. And, and I've seen over the, the past few decades, I've seen so many men's lives radically uh, changed and transformed. Amen. There sits one right there. And, amen. And, and I've seen just so many lives changed. And, and Sean is surely one of them. And he's been gone for a few years, and I haven't heard from him, hadn't kept up. And, and, and I don't think he even really realized what's been going on here probably the last a few Sundays and what we've been talking about. And, uh, but I want to read you, I'm not reading you every little single line that he wrote because some of it was more personal to me, but I want to read you the text that he sent me uh, last Sunday. He says, this is Sean McConnell. I'm a former resident of the House of Grace that has truly uh, been blessed by the Lord. God had me running the House of Grace when Keith had his accidents. I've been a traveling nurse since COVID as an ER and ICU nurse. I've worked just outside of New York City when COVID hit and in Missouri, New Mexico, and now I'm in California. I was in Missouri and a patient that had a DNR, do not resuscitate order, was there. He was not my patient, but the family uh, was all called in. Uh, the, they, the family actually left sometime later, which really bothered me at some point. And, uh, and two days later, he was still there, barely hanging on. I walked by his room, and his pump was beeping. Uh, he was only getting IV fluids at this time. He had not been conscious uh, for more than two days. So I went in to turn the pump off, and I felt the need to lay hands on him. I laid hands on him and simply said, I release healing into your body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple prayer. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit really. But about two hours later, I heard a nurse scream, he's awake. I, I, amen. Uh, amen. He, said, he writes, he said, I totally felt the Holy Spirit then. <laughs> um, they moved him to another room. I was walking by his room, and he still had not spoken in days. Well, God had uh, me be the one that he waved into his room with his right hand, uh, and I slumped over his right shoulder, and I leaned in closely, and in a raspy voice, he said to me, I'm thirsty. Well, I got some water, and being a good nurse, I gave him very small sips so he wouldn't aspirate. And after he got his whistle wet, I said right next to his ear, I prayed for you. And he said, I heard you. He said, I heard you. The Holy Spirit flooded the room, and I was tearing up so much. He went home. Uh, that is the real, this is the real stuff. With your background, you know that when a family is called in, that it's not good. But by obeying God and releasing the power that is inside me, he was raised from the almost dead. I'm not bragging on what I did. I'm just bragging on the Lord. I believe all the seed that was sown at the house of grace is coming back 100-fold. And I hope this story blesses you and thank you for all you do for the kingdom of God. Come on and let's give God praise for that. <laughs> Amen. Give God praise for that. Amen. Amen. Glory. That is awesome. Man, that is awesome. And we were just talking about that the past two Sundays, and then I'm sitting there and, and get that text from him. Uh, so awesome. 
has uh, had sepsis and the doctors were filling her full of steroids and this, that, and other, and they called me and was just in a bad way, and her daughter's missing work and this, that, and other, and they called and talked to me, and, we, and after hearing your sermons and the things that were on healing, it just all fell in place, and they laid hands on her, and last night we went to a parade, and this child is healed, and is seeing the manifestation, all the bumps that are on her, and the bleeding, and the hair that's coming, so it was falling out, all these things are have seized him. She was at the parade just jumping around and laughing and having a good time. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You know, and, and just be encouraged, man, just just a simple prayer. Just a guy on on the job, you know, and I've known Sean for, for many years and in, in my association with them. And I, I just thank God for Pastor Keith. Because uh, that's the fruit of his ministry, he's the one that's ministered to these to this man and to these guys. And this guy, you know, his life was wrecked by the, this addiction, and then he uh, he went to the House of Grace, and God just turned his life around. He became one of the leaders at the House of Grace, and like he said, actually ran it for a while when Keith was was uh, out, and uh, and then went to school, went to nursing school, and got his uh, uh, RN degree and. And, and God's just sounds like sending him all over the, the country. He actually wrote other things in, in the text to me. He had, he did, I don't think he realized my wife was born in Deming, New Mexico, when he was working in Deming, New Mexico. And he said he would fly out of El Paso all the time when he was working there. And he said every day that, uh, that I would go uh, when I was in El Paso, he said I would drive by uh, Rudolph Chevrolet. And that won't mean anything to some of you, but some of you have heard me tell that story. He, he's, but Sean said I would ride by Rudolph Chevrolet, and I'd always remember your air conditioner story and how God uh, ministered to you. And he said it would just make me smile uh, every time I rode by Rudolph Chevrolet in El Paso, Texas. And, and, and just to see God using uh, a man. And, I want, and, I want, and that's the message today. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's the big idea today for you guys because of what we have on the inside. You know, Crawford had mentioned last Sunday uh, he, he exhorted us, you know, uh, when he came up and about Acts 3. And, uh, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I just want, I went back and I got to looking at that. It made me want to just read it again myself. And, and there's just so much in that. And I, I, want, and I don't think this is going to take me uh, very long. But I want you to go to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I just want us to just pull out some things out of this story because this is exactly what uh, we're talking about. This is exactly the testimony. Uh, that, that Sean texted me and, and, and how God just used him. And, and a simple prayer, no audience, no, nobody to watch, just I release healing uh, into your body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and man, I don't know what else you can say. That that's calling, that's raising the dead, or like he said, the almost dead, uh, and just through that simple prayer. And then the other thing, the man said that uh, he was in a, you know, unconscious for days, and yet when Sean said that little prayer, just a real soft prayer. I release heat. The man said, "I heard you." So you, we, the, you know, and we've been told that medically, those people here, um, you know, and I believe that. I mean, we we've seen like those kind of things over and over. It says, "Now Peter and John uh, went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and that's actually three o'clock in the afternoon is when they were going to prayer." And I I want to just say something to you that I believe that the Bible here, the Holy Spirit, is going to special. Uh, emphasis to emphasize to us that now we got Peter and John went up together. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, because just a few weeks earlier, uh, 
one of these apostles denied that he even knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other apostle, John, was the only one that showed up at the crucifixion and stood there with Jesus and received the charge from the Lord himself to care for, for uh, his mother. And can you imagine these two guys almost being polar opposites? One of them denied to even know the Lord. The other one did finally make his way to the crucifixion. And yet now the Bible wants us to see that these two guys, a few weeks earlier, that probably you know would have been real easy to have hard feelings against one another, or at least John not really wanting Peter to be hanging around him. But now the Bible shows them going up together to the temple at the, at the time of prayer. The Holy Spirit wants us to notice that. And in verse 2 it says, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb, in other words he was born like this, was carried, everybody say carried, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus, now this is Herod's temple. This is a magnificent temple. And Herod had went in and, and just added to it and, and just uh, created a magnificent temple. He did that to try to gain the favor uh, of the Jews that he was in charge of, of by Rome to give oversight to. And, and Josephus writes about this gate. He said it was 70 feet high, 30 feet wide a bronze gate that led into the temple. And it was actually situated 15 steps beyond where neither women nor people with any kind of maimed or unclean could pass, and for it was against the law, and, and, it was, and yet it was called, uh, the gate called beautiful. That's what, that's what the people referred to it at. And the thing that I want you to see about this is, you know, you know what a gate is. A gate can, can let you in or a gate can keep you out depending on what the purpose is. And, and, and this man had a congenital problem. He was born like this, and Acts 4.22 says he was over 40 years old. He'd been like this all of his life. And, and, and the tragedy of this man uh, was not how he was, but where he was. Did you hear me? He, he was at the gate. And so when you're at the gate where this man was, you're not in and you're not out. You watch people as they go in, but they're going into a place that you, by because of the law, you couldn't go in. Imagine that, that the church would not allow you to be in the church if there was something wrong with you. If you was deformed, if you was crippled, uh, you couldn't even go in there. That's why when Jesus was in the temple that time teaching, remember there was a man there that had concealed that he had a withered hand. Remember that story? And the Bible said Jesus called that man out and, and said, because Jesus perceived by the Spirit that that man had that problem, and he told that man to stand forth, to stand up, and he said, stretch forth your hand. Uh, so that that was concealed, Jesus had him to reach, and, and basically Jesus tells him to do, do, do what you can't do. All through the Bible, when these healings come, Jesus and the apostles tell people to do what they can't do. Jesus will say, take up your bed and walk when they're laying on it and they're paralyzed. He tells them to do what they can't do. And that's the same thing in our life. God speaks his word. If God, if God says it to you, then the power to do it is not in you. It's in the word that God says to you. Amen? And, and so the Bible says he's carried to the temple. He's, he's carried there, if you will, to the church. He, he, he's carried there by somebody else. And, and sometimes in, in our lives, and in, in us coming even here sometimes, Technically, not physically, but technically or spiritually, rather, maybe we, we have to be carried. Sometimes you can't really get the praise going until the praise team carries you there. 
But how are you going to make it when they ain't? See, you're going to have to learn to, to do like David said. David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. Because sometimes you're not going to be able to find somebody to do that. And you're going to have to have the discipline in the heart to just to encourage yourself in the things of God. How do you do that? Just by praising God. Just by beginning praising God. Verse 3 of Acts 3 says, who's seeing Peter, this, this, this beggar now, he sees Peter and John about to go in the temple, and he asks them for alms. Now, he, he, this is sometimes uh, indicative of our praying. We're asking God for things, solutions to problems, or, or this, or whatever it is. And a lot of times, you know, we just have to admit in humility that we're asking sometimes for things that we really that God sees that we don't need. We're asking for something that we perceive that will, will satisfy or be the answer to our problem. But there's God wants to do always exceedingly, abundantly, and above and beyond that that we ask or even think of Him. That's what the Bible says. And, and so He's asking for arms. And I told you jokingly last Sunday, He's asking for arms, but He needs what? He needs legs. But see, he don't even believe for legs anymore. When you've had a condition for over 40 years, you've had it all your life, you don't even believe for it no more, I don't think. Or if you do, I think it would be very, very difficult to believe that your situation could ever change because this has been part of you all of your life. You may be dealing with something now where you've had this problem, this, this habit, this sin, this whatever this is, and you've dealt with it your whole life, and you just kind of, you know, so you hear this thing, you know, well, we've got to learn to live with it. No, the big challenge is learning to live without it. Amen. And so we're asking for things that we really don't need, and then sometimes we don't understand why God don't give us what we're asking for because God's shooting up a lot higher than what we're asking for. Amen. In verse 4, it says, And fixing his eyes on him with John. Uh, and notice it keeps emphasizing the, the unity of these two apostles. And he says, Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now, let me tell you something. The most common response to do with your eyes is when you see a beggar is you, you, you don't make eye contact with them. You know the guys out here on the ramp. When you pull off and they're right there by your car, but you just stare straight ahead like they're not there because you're afraid if you make eye contact, they'll walk over and think you're going to give them some money or something. Or you, you just pretend to yourself, or you, come on now, I'm all in your Kool-Aid. You just act like they're not there. You just wait for that light. Oh, come on, light change. He's looking at me. He's holding the card. That's the most common response when you see a beggar is just don't make eye contact with them. Act like they're not there. Just look straight ahead. Don't notice them. Just ignore them, and this will be over in just a minute. You know, that uncomfortable feeling that we, that we should do something. I think Christians probably have the most uncomfortable feeling when they see that, that, that we should do something. We should be able to do something. We should be able to do something about this. And uh, the beggar won't even look up at them, this beggar in the Bible. He, he, he won't even look at them. He's got his head down and his hand out, and he's asking for alms. And, 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 you know, he knows people just act like he's not there. So he doesn't even look at them because they're not looking at him either. And Peter commands this beggar. He commands him to look at them. He said, look, at, look, on, look on us. Notice Peter didn't say, look at me. He said, look at us. If he wanted what they had, the beggar, if he wanted what they had, then he had to get his eyes off of his ugly situation. That's why Peter's doing it. He's commanding him to quit looking down. Stop looking down. 
Stop focusing on what the problem is, and, and you look at us. And so he had to stop looking down, and he had to stop seeking the same old thing that he did from everybody that went into that temple, and he, he had to stop seeking a temporal uh, uh, solution to a permanent problem. He had to look at them. And, and he looked at these apostles, and in verse 5, it says he gave them his attention. And then it says expecting to receive something from them. I, I want to tell you, I cannot overemphasize to you how important it is to have expectancy. I'm not talking about just on a Sunday church service. But to live your life with an expectancy that God can do anything, anytime, and he can use me to do it. That just like Sean, you could go to work, you can be a nurse, and you just go to work with an expectancy. That today is a day of possibilities that God could use me to change circumstances or a situation or a life. Just by saying a simple prayer, I release healing into your body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a formula. But Sean said that because he's been taught for more than a decade, it's his ministry at the House of Grace, that, that we have taught, and Pastor Keith has taught those men, that, that you've got it on the inside of you because you've got Jesus there. Verse 6, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do give, what I do have, I give you. I don't charge you for it. I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Again, he's telling a person to do what is impossible for them to do. That's what faith does. Uh, it's important that you, that you know, and I said this last Sunday, it's important that you know what you don't have. I mean, I get that. Did you know what you don't have? But, but it's, like, it's like when the prophet in the Old Testament, we've got so many Old Testament videos of this. The prophet tells the, 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 the widow woman, you know, uh, she's got a little bit of a, a meal in the barrel, and she's going to, to eat that, she says, and feed it to her and her son, and they're going to die. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. And it's not a made-up story. It's a real story. And the prophet comes along, and he, he says to the woman, uh, you know, basically in, in our language, I'll put it in our vernacular, basically he just says, make me a biscuit. You know, just make me something small. The Hebrew word is something small. In other words, take some of that, that meal, that flour, and make, you know, make me something to eat. Uh, most people wouldn't like that. They would want the preacher to be giving her something. But God's breaking something off of this woman, and, and there's going to be a miracle in that. And we know the, we, we see this in Second Kings, but he, said, he, he says, make me a cake. You know, make me a, a biscuit. And then, and, she, and then she says, I, own, I, I have nothing except a handful of meal in, in the barrel. And I was going to uh, take these sticks and make a fire and cook this, and me and my son was going to eat it and die. There's, you know, that's the end of the road. He hears her problem, and then he ups the ante. He actually uh, increases it and says, bake me a cake. Now he's asking for all of it. First off, he kind of asked for a biscuit. Now he's asking for a cake. And, see, and, and it doesn't make any sense. You would think he'd be doing something for her. He is doing something for her. He's bringing her out of the realm of her provision into God's realm of what he can do. And she does that in faith. And, of course, the meal never fails, it says. There's another woman that, that the prophet says to her, she said, I got a little bit of oil in a vessel. And he says these strange words to her. She says, I just got a little bit of oil. That oil represented just a little bit of money. 
He said, I need you to go borrow many vessels, borrow not a few. And, and so, because the debtors, the people that she was in debt to were coming to take her sons into bondage, into slavery, because she could not pay the, the debt. And God gives us these stories. He gives us these videos. And she said, I got a little bit of oil in the vessel. He says, go borrow many vessels. And he actually says the words, borrow not a few. Now, she goes and borrows these vessels. And, and you got you to gotta think of the reality of what went on when she said to somebody, may I borrow a vessel? And they know she's destitute. And they know she's a widow. And they know she doesn't have anything. And yet, why is she wanting to borrow all these vessels? I don't know how the dialogue went down. But she borrows these vessels. Now, let me ask you this. The, the, the limit of faith was not based on God. It was based on her, just like it is on you and I. So she, go, she goes, borrows how many is many to her, and she borrows the vessels, and God told her to go into the house, close the door behind her, and take that little bit of oil and begin to pour into the vessels. Now, the miracle happens in her hands, just like I told you last Sunday. When they fed the loaves and fishes, the miracle of multiplication did not happen in the hands of Jesus. It happened in the hands of his disciples as they fed the people. And so the miracle of the oil multiplying didn't happen in the prophet's hands. He wasn't one in there pouring. She was. And the miracle that you're wanting and the miracle you're looking for is the same thing that the New Testament calls the working of miracles. Because if you want a miracle, you're going to have to work one. There is no gift of miracles in the New Testament. There is the gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the working of miracles. And the reason we don't see more miracles is because we got folks that don't want to work them or afraid to work them, or too scared to work them. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Whatever the miracle is, you're going to have to be a co-laborer and be involved in it with God. You're going to have to lay hands on the sick if you want to see them recover. You don't have to call the preacher. You, don't, you, you lay hands on Why? Because you're a believer. And these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. But you've got to lay your hands on them. You don't have to call a crowd or call an audience, but you, you lay hands on them. I told you last Sunday how Jesus was very strategic when he went into Jairus' daughter's house and they had all that unbelief atmosphere. Jesus removed that atmosphere. He wasn't being mean to those people. He just said, I can't, we, I can't do these miracles in the atmosphere this year of unbelief and death and despair. And so he told them all to get out and he allowed the mother and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the father and the Peter, James, and John, and, and they went in and Jesus said, tell us the Kumai, and he, rose, he raised her from the dead. And, and so, so, you know, it, it's, it's based on our faith. Jesus over and over said, go your way, your faith. Not my faith, he said, your faith made you whole. But their faith in whom? In a person, in him. And, and, and so you, you see this over and over. She begins to pour, and, and the oil fills that vessel, and she pours again, and the oil fills that vessel, and she pours, and she pours. And then listen to the Bible, and the Bible says when the last vessel was filled, then the oil stayed or it stopped flowing. So the miracle flowed up to the level of the faith that she exhibited. She's the one that dictated how much oil, not God. It was according to her faith of how many vessels she, the prophet encouraged her. He exhorted her, borrowing many vessels, borrowing not a few. And so whatever level of her faith was, that's when the oil, and as soon as there was nothing else to pour into, the oil stopped. See, notice that God's, the supernatural, the oil's not flowing and she's got to go get a mop or something. Or she's got to go, no, structure, order is important to God. Some folks are praying for oil, but you ain't got nothing to pour it in. 
You don't have any structure. You don't have any order in your life, and you're praying for miraculous things. You don't, you know, say, so, oh, God, give me a million. You ain't even got a plan for $100, much less a million dollars. You don't even have a plan for it. You're praying to hit the lottery. You ain't even got a plan if you was to win it. <laughs> Come on, y'all. So Peter says to this guy, I don't have what you're asking for. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, what I do have, I give you. Now, if you could ever come to the realization of what you do have, what do you have on the inside of you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. You have Christ in you. That's, that's an easy one-word answer. What do I have? Christ. You don't need to have all, all the theology. You, what you carry in you is Christ. If you're born again, you are a carrier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador. An ambassador, don't, don't get all, an you, you represent him. In other words, you represent him. You are to do what he would do would he be here physically. It really is like it was popular some years ago. What would Jesus do? Now they were all, they were all talking about be nice and sweet, you know, and treat everybody kind, and, you know. But what would Jesus do? You know, he'd lay hands on the sick and heal them. He said, "What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up more." Now notice how different these New Testament people prayed and how the church prays for healing today. Think about it. I want you to just pause for a second. You bring up somebody that's sick today. This is how most of the church prays. Oh, God. They ask God to do it. They ask God to. Oh, God, would you please heal this person? But you won't find that prayer in the New Testament. You, you, you don't find that. Because Jesus didn't ever say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. And you go, well, I can't heal anybody. Hey, we know. But you can access that power that has already healed everybody because by his stripes you were healed. And it's through grace, through faith in him. The same way salvation comes. You are saved by grace through faith. Healing comes by grace through faith. It's the same faith. It's the same Jesus on the same cross that paid the price. He shed his blood for the remission of sins and he bore stripes on his back for the healing of our sicknesses and diseases. Amen? And, and, but, but that's not how we've been taught in the church. We, we've been taught that it's something that God can do. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he do, sometimes he don't. Like, you know, rolling the dice. God, would you heal this one? Or people prayed for somebody. They prayed for the grandma. She didn't get healed. She died. And so they, they said, don't work. They never pray again. And I have seen, I, I was thinking, you know, this morning, I, you know, in my life now, uh, I have seen so, so many I don't want to put a number, but many, many miracles in my life and ministry. Now, I mean, what a wonderful thing. I mean, I don't have any excuse to ever doubt God. I mean, I just got no excuse. But yet on the other side of that, I have seen people experience so many. And I've seen people have the miracles. I mean, you got to think about the children of Israel. They, they're, in, that, in that wilderness journey, they, they lived a daily miracle, and yet they turned in their heart against God. So don't ever think that miracles are the answer to, you know, you know if, if we could just see a miracle, then we'd believe. No you, no, you wouldn't. Because you're not saved by miracles. You're saved by faith in the person. God's a miracle-working God. But that's not what saves us. Uh, you know, th these, are, these prayers are just uh, really all through the Bible. They're declarations. 
when it comes to healing, you're just declaring what's already been paid for. You're drawing on that. But now, but most people, if if I pray and when I pray for people to be healed, your average Christian, you know, they're offended by the way I pray because they're offended by if they the way the New Testament prays for healing. You you, you, you you declare it. You are decreeing a thing. You're not saying, oh, God, would you please heal this person? Oh, God. God's already done what he's going to do. That's what, by his stripes, First Peter, by his stripes, you were healed. That, that includes everybody. And you say, well, why, why don't we see this or why don't we see that? I mean, I mean why don't everybody get saved? I mean, if we're going to go why there, I, I, you know, I can throw some whys in there too. It ain't just about healing. Why don't I preach to people that I know sitting there lost as a goose in a snowstorm and they'll get up and walk out still lost? Why that? Does that mean it don't work? No, it means they just didn't believe it. Don't mean it don't work. What am I going to do? Throw my Bible away and say, because that person didn't get saved, I'm, I'm not going to preach salvation anymore? Because they didn't come to the altar and, and, and receive Christ, I'm not going to give an altar call? No. You just keep, what do you do? You just keep on doing what you do. I want to tell you, there's more propensity to see people healed if you pray for more people. Right? Verse 7 said, and he took him by the right hand, he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. What I see here is I see them working a miracle. I see them doing their part. I see God doing his part. Them apostles can't make his ankles strong. Only God can do that. But they can grab him by the hand and lift him up. And I want to tell you something. Most of us are too afraid to mess with people like that and pull them up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The strength came after the act of faith came. See which came first? All through the Bible, it's the working of miracles. One of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12 that God said, I don't want you to be ignorant of, but the working of miracles. And you see this all through the Bible. Why don't God just do stuff? He always has man's involvement in it. I mean, they go to bitter waters in the Old Testament, and they're poisoned. They can't drink them or whatever. Uh, bitter waters, you know. And, and, and so the children of Israel, he's got two million plus people that are, they've been three days without one drop of water. And, and, and so why don't he just go abracadabra and make the waters drinkable? But he don't do it. He tells Moses to cut down a tree and let it fall into the water. Well, he's, he's going to take a few minutes to cut a tree down. He didn't have a polling, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he didn't, he didn't crank it up, you know. He didn't have a steel chainsaw. He, he had to chop this tree down, and it falls into this water out in the wilderness, and, and the water is purified. You, you see man... Uh, Participate. That's a miracle, though. But you see, man participating. Why did you know? I mean, we know. I mean, it's, it's it's a symbol maybe of the cross, the tree. You know, on the tree, the, that that crucifixion, that Jesus being cut down would would purify the bitter waters in our life. You know, you see the people being bitten by poisonous vipers and snakes, and and they're dying from these these venomous snakes. And so, what does he tell Moses? Why don't he just go abracadabra and snakes be gone? But he tells Moses. And he gives him a pattern. And he says, take a serpent, make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole and lift that pole up so that all the people can see it. And, and tell them if they get bit by a poison viper to look upon that serpent. Everybody say serpent. You notice he didn't build a lamb. He built a snake. And he said, put that snake, that serpent on a pole 
out of brass. And when the people are bitten by these poisonous, deadly vipers, tell them to look at the, at the, at the, at the brazen serpent and they'll be healed. And they were. And everybody that got bit that looked at that brazen serpent and put their faith in what Moses had done received healing. That's powerful. That's a miracle. Now, we, we know that, that that serpent on that brazen that brazen serpent on that pole was a type of Jesus on the cross. You say, why a serpent? Because him who knew no sin became sin. And if they would look to the one that's on that cross who became sin and received what they should have received, what we should have received, the crucifixion, they would be saved for something more, more deadly than a serpent bite. Okay, but here's another little caveat to the story. 500 years later, we got a king of Israel named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a, was a great king. He, he, he probably only second or third from David, Josiah, and then Hezekiah. He'd be in the top three. Brought great reform to Israel. Tore down the high places and false gods and all that stuff. But one of the things he, when he was on his rampage of tearing down all the idols and stuff, you know one thing he destroyed, the Bible says, was the brazen serpent. I mean, listen, imagine this. 500 years later, they're still doing that brazen serpent thing. 500 years later. The church, it's not that the church don't do what God says, it's that the church does what God says too long. If, if God ever says something and we do it and it worked, then we, are, we, then we got us a formula. We've got a method and we don't ever want to change it. And so what he did, can you imagine the hell that Hezekiah caught by giving the order to destroy what God said to make. Who told Moses to build it? God did. Did it work in that generation? Yes. Subsequent generations, it's just a religious, this is what the Bible says. He said, it, destroy it, Hezekiah said, because it has become neheshton which means it's just a piece of brass. So what do we have in, in a lot of churches in America? They're still dragging around a brazen serpent. They, they're dragging around an old move of God that God said to do 500 years ago, or they do in church the way they did 500 years ago, or they're, they're still doing it the way they did 1,000 years ago because that's the way grandmama did. But it ain't working. Ain't nobody getting saved when they're looking at it. And, and, and we put more value in a formula or in a... In a, in a church ritual. See, it wasn't, it wasn't that snake on that, wasn't that brass snake on that pole that was saving the people. It was God. And that was simply a way for them to relate to God. And God was speaking in that old covenant language, something that they could understand, that, 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 that Jesus was coming. That if, they, if we would look to the cross, if we would look to Christ, then we, we would be saved. Can somebody say Amen. But you got, you, you, you got to participate with God. And I love in Acts 3 and 8, it says, so he leaping up, this, he, he, he's healed. Now he's leaping up, it says, stood and walked, listen to this, entered the temple. Now he had never been able to go there. This is his first trip into the temple. He enters the temple with them, and look at this, walking, leaping, and praising God. Apparently it was a charismatic temple, I, I don't know. But he's walking, he's leaping, and he's praising God. See, that's why folks will do that when they really get a hold of God. See, he's walking. What does that mean? God had physically healed him. He's leaping. 
What does that mean? He's been emotionally healed. He don't care what you think. He's just jumping and he's springing. His soul has been restored to him. And then uh, he's praising God, it says. What does that mean? He's been spiritually made whole. God heals the whole man when he does it. Can you say amen? And he, he enters the temple with them. And, the, and he, the first place he wants to go is in that place that he's been barred from being able to enter into. And he goes in there, and in verse 9 it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate. Now notice the little nuance of phrase. When I read to you that it's, it said it was the gate called beautiful but now it doesn't refer to it like that listen you can call it whatever you want to call it but you you can call it church you can call it whatever you want to call it but as long as the lameness stays and the bondage stays and the addiction stays and the problem stays it ain't beautiful some reporter trying to be smart one time asked Abraham Lincoln they said how many how many uh uh, legs does a cow have? And he said four. He said, well, how many legs does it have if you count his tail as a leg? Abraham Lincoln said, still four. He said, you can call it anything you want to, but it ain't a, it ain't a leg. And that's what we got people doing. We got people calling things something. They're calling sin, you know, wonderful, calling this. You know, we're, we're surrounded by the whole society now. They call things wonderful. They call it beautiful, but it ain't beautiful. Because the bondage is there, the, 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 those things. But it, this now, the Bible changes the phrase, and it says that we know that this is the man who was set begging alms at the beautiful gate. They don't say at the gate called beautiful anymore because now it is truly beautiful because this man has gone past that gate. And they, at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were, look at this, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to tell you, testimony is important. Just what I started with, giving Sean's text that he sent to me last Sunday while I was eating my lunch. That, that is so important. I mean, it just filled my heart. It was so important because I was like, this is just what we just got through talking about. This is just what we got through talking about. Such as I have, give I unto thee. And if you can just walk out of here today, just re- this, ain't, this ain't nothing to, sat, you know, to saddle you down with a, you know, some, some you know, baggage. This is just to waken you. To the to the to the what's on the inside, and you don't have to feel anything. He said when he said those words to that man, you know, I release healing into your body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he didn't feel a thing, but he said two hours later when that nurse hollered, he's awake. He sure felt something. Don't worry about it. The feeling to catch up with the faith. Don't worry whether you feel something. I mean, you know, and I, I have felt amazing things before and, and didn't see the results that I thought my feeling was. It did not, it, you can't go by that. It's too, it's, it, it's, you can't go by that. Don't go by that. I mean, I've preached before. I've been preaching a long time. I remember one time I was in the city and I was preaching. I evangelized for six years and I was preaching. And there was a guy out there that he just started just, he drew my attention. He was looking at me. He had his arms folded and he had a scowl on his face. And he looked like he just wanted me. Like the more I preached, the matter he got. And he just started getting my attention. And I remember I was a young preacher, and so I started focusing on him before long. I'm just preaching to that guy. I'm, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm just trying to break that one dude, man. If I just break that one dude, I feel like I'm. And he never did act like he enjoyed nothing I said. And I was just feeling all upset. And just, you know, this guy, I hope he don't come back tomorrow night because this guy bugging me. And you know, when I give the altar call that night, you know, the first person that came was that guy. And when he got to the altar, he just put his arms around me, and he just he, he just broke, and 
And, and I was so fooled that night by me. And it was like God, God's like, boy, stop going by what you can see and what you can hear and live and, and move by the, my, my spirit. Do, just do what I say. Just, you, you can't, I mean, you know it's the old thing. You can't judge a book by the cover. Don't do that. Don't do that. Know that you carry that. You carry him on the inside. And whether it's just laying hands on somebody in the and, and, and what you know, and really, I think well, I, was, I was reading it to, to them last Sunday while, while we was at lunch. I think, and I think Jeannie said she said when I, when he read that part where he said to the guy, uh, you know, it's time to God. That pray. I prayed. No, he said I prayed for you, and the guy said, Yeah, I heard you. She, she said, made chills go over. Man, you know they they they, they hear that, and, and, and if you and if you have, God forbid you have a family member, you just speak life to them. Don't go in there and sit around their bed and start talking death and spare and planning their funeral and them laying there and think they're unconscious and they hear nothing. They're going to get on you when they get to heaven, when you get there with them. <laughs> they're going to say, I heard you talking about me. <laughs> I remember I had this friend, and, and I'll end with this. He, I started as a paramedic in, actually in, in Cook County. And, uh, man, we worked 24 hours on in those days and 24 hours off. So every morning you're either arriving to start your shift at 7 a.m. or you're getting off at 7 a.m. And, you know, no more sleeping late for you, buddy boy. <laughs> you know, it's just that, it's not your world. And I did that for a year. And, uh, and that was back even before some departments were doing 2448. And as a young man, it was killing me, man. I was, I was ready. I was trying, that's why I went to Tifton because they worked 2448 shifts. But I worked there for a year, and the guy that was the head of the ambulance service, Named Dave Gone was, was my partner. And you understand this, some of you people in the military and some of these services, like it's where you're together like that. And so, you know, I'm with a guy 24 hours a day, and actually more than that, because we got called in a lot on our day off. If that ambulance had to roll out of town, that was the only one there, so we had to come in and cover. So you're together a lot. And I, I was with him more than his wife was. <laughs> I mean, you get close to a person, and sometimes you can get on each other's nerves too, you know, like that. But, but we were real close. And just, uh, and, uh, but I remember as I went to, you know, went to Tifton and worked there as paramedic and got promoted to chief and stuff like that. And, and, and we would still interact and relate. And I, uh, I uh, asked him one, one week, you know, to ride to Albany to our regional uh, chiefs directors meetings that we'd have once a month in Albany. And so he drove up to Tifton and got in my car and we drove over and had lunch at the meeting and, but it was unusual because I didn't shove nothing on him. He knew my life, and, and I live for God. And, and, but he, on the way over there, he started talking to me about the Lord and about salvation and stuff. And I thought it was so strange that he would, he, he initiated the conversation. And, of course, you know, I, I invited him to church. I, I said, well, you know, uh, please come to church. And, um, you know, last Sunday, wasn't it last Sunday we ate at Buffalo Wild Wings and <laughs> so we was there. I got there first, you know, and the and the young man that waited on, you know, I was there by myself. And we got a big table. There's a herd goes with us everywhere, and and uh, he said, "Well, you look like you've been at church." And see, that was my door. Don't mess around. And tell me that. And so as soon as he said that, I said, "Yeah." In fact, I, I said, "I'm a pastor." And we started talking. And he said, "Well, I'm a college student." He said, "I would, I uh, I've been looking for a church." And I said, "Man, I would love for you to come." To our church, and I said, "I'm serious, and I want you to come." And I said, "When you come, would you please come up and after service and 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 see me, so that I'll know you're there." 
and uh, and so he said he would. And his name was John, and we we talked, and so then when all my family got there, you know, I said, "Now listen, y'all be nice, to this guy, and just call you if you don't get your food just like when you want. Don't be don't be going off on him, because I done not told him I'm pastor. I don't invite him to church. So I won't, and tip and tip tip the brother good too when it's over with, and uh, you know." But all I'm ever looking for is just an opportunity. You crack that door, I'm coming in. You know, but I, I didn't shove nothing on him. But I showed him. I showed him on my phone. I said, this is our website, man. You go check us out. I said, man, we'd love to have you. And, uh, you know, uh, that week, uh, Dave, you know, he came to church where I went to church. I wasn't preaching to pastor, and he just came to the church I attended. And he came to the altar, and I went down and got on this side of the altar and knelt in front of him. I didn't, I didn't ask him nothing. I didn't try to, but I could, I mean, he 